EDM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussain and Blake Briggs. Salutations, we invite you back to EM board bombs. <laughs> I'm sick of saying welcome back to Ian Bore Bombs every single time. It kind of gets old, so I thought I'd throw over one off with a new intro here. So again, I almost said it again, welcome back. <laughs> we hope you study for boards, but in reality, we hope you study for hashtag EM life, one rapid podcast at a time. I'm Blake Briggs, and I'm not joined today by Dr. Iltavad Hussein, unfortunately. He is very busy this week. He's actually developing a new chat GPT model to help write EM Bore Bomb stems. He's getting tired of being creative every week and wants to offload some of the responsibility to AI, so we'll let you know how that goes. Not sure if you've read the news recently, but apparently ChatGTB just passed exams from both law and business schools, but failed the med school exam. Just kidding. They didn't take a medical school exam. That's, so that's actually impressive, uh, but equally scary at the same time. So stay tuned uh, for Skynet. It'll be in the news soon. So remember with EM Board Bombs, we give the people what they want. We give 15 Minute episodes with high-yield board knowledge, also for life. As we like to say, come for the stems, stay for the content. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, at EMBoreBombs. Huge Twitter following, just huge. And Instagram is big, too. We're also on Facebook, if you like that kind of stuff. So what we're going to do today is cover a really classic talks case that's just in time for the ITE for these residents here that are listening. That's coming up in less than a month now, which is crazy to think about. So remember, that's right around the corner. So uh, hopefully you're studying for that. If not, this will be a nice little review for you. Not a very interesting stem today, obviously a very serious topic. So here we go. A 21-year-old female arrives after ingesting an entire bottle of over-the-counter pills from the family medicine cabinet at home. The family found her in the bathroom, but the patient and family do not know when she actually took the pills. She does not recall what she took. She is alert and oriented in your department with no complaints. She is tearful on arrival and refusing to talk to you. Which of the following is the best next step? Choice A, N-acetylcysteine infusion. Choice B, wait four hours, then draw an acetaminophen level. Choice C, draw an acetaminophen level now. Choice D, give activated charcoal. correct answer here is going to be choice C, draw an acetaminophen level now. And of course, we have to mention our premium podcast, EM Rapid Bombs. Both residents, attendings, and other healthcare professionals can benefit from learning from EM Rapid Bombs. EM Rapid Bombs is a TikTok version of our podcast. We prepare you for boards and clinical practice. You don't have to waste your time studying just for the test with traditional question banks. You can optimize your time by listening to our board pearls that will help you with the test. More importantly, with life. And that's what matters the most, we would agree, right? I think all of us know the test and the boards, yeah, they're a necessary hurdle, we all hate it, we all don't enjoy it, but studying shouldn't be this dreadful. The cool part about Rapid Bombs is that we cover things we don't often cover on our main podcast. Several weeks ago, I covered all the diving pearls you have to know. Funny how I did a pearl pun there, right? So keep in mind, you get that extra information and just check it out. You can go to emrapidbombs.supercast.com Look at the show notes of this podcast as well. It'll give you a direct link to that website. You can also find the link on EM Bore Bombs main website as well. Okay, let us delve into this great topic today. 
So this is interesting. This is one of the first topics I wrote for EM Board Bombs back in the day, 2018, when Iltafa and I were first getting started with this shindig. And it's funny it took this long to make a podcast of it. <laughs> it's one of those things that's been sitting in the handout database for forever uh, as a reference. And now we're turning into a podcast. So again, refer to the handout if you want to get more details of this or want to read something more of a visual learner. But for you audio learners there, we're going to cover the nuts and bolts of what you need to know for Tylenol overdose. One of the most common tox cases in the world. So acetaminophen, also called Tylenol, <laughs> or paracetamol if you're from England. I'm not going to try to do that with an English accent. This was introduced in the 1950s. Since then, it's become the world's most popular analgesic. And it's the most common cause of ingested toxicologic poisoning in the United States. It's also the most common cause of acute liver failure in the Western Hemisphere. 50% of all cases of acute liver failure are due to Tylenol poisoning. That is insane. That is crazy. I remember learning about that in medical school and I was blown away. The natural inclination of the public is probably like, oh, it's alcohol. But it's just amazing how big of a deal Tylenol is for liver failure. Let's talk some doses here. So the standard regimen that most poison centers and the guidelines really recommend is that for therapeutic dosing of Tylenol in an adult, you should never exceed 4 grams every 24 hours. And in children, that's 80 milligrams per kilogram. That's the max limit. The doses where toxicity occur, it can be anything above that, but in general, it's usually twice that number or sometimes three times that number. So just remember that. The dose where toxicity occurs in adults is greater than 8 grams or so. Remember we said that the normal therapeutic limit is 4 grams. So double that 8 grams, you're looking into concern for toxicity. Children also basically double that. Remember that the max limit therapeutic dosing was 80 milligrams per kilogram. Just double that. Greater than 150 milligrams per kilogram is concerning for toxicity. So unfortunately, we have to cover really boring, awful things on Ian Board Bombs. I am so sorry. <laughs> for those of you that listen, we are the Blue Collar Podcast, as Ilfot loves to promote. We have to cover a little bit of metabolism. Even that word is awful, but it's testable stuff in the exams. I promise you, I'm just going to give you literally two sentences. Normal Tylenol. Okay. Also, I'm going to be saying Tylenol a lot and I apologize. I do not get any money from Tylenol. Whoever makes Tylenol nowadays, the brand, I do not get any money from them or kickbacks. I wish I did. But uh, if I say that word, I promise I'm not endorsing the use of brand Tylenol. <laughs> it's just like second nature in the United States. So I do apologize. I will try my best to say acetaminophen. Anyway, acetaminophen is metabolized to sulfate and glucuronide conjugates, and they're urinated out. They're excreted through the urine, no problems, that's awesome. However, when there's really high levels of acetaminophen in the body, like toxic levels, they saturate these safe pathways, and then the acetaminophen is shunted into an accessory pathway. And this, is, this makes this really nasty compound called NAPQI, which I'm not going to spell out or anything like that. It's a nasty little compound, just remember that, N for nasty and it's made. And this nasty little compound, NAPQI, causes you know oxidative injury to the liver, it's irreversible, and it quickly progresses to liver failure. That's the nuts and bolts in, in basically in a nutshell of what the pathophysiology of Tylenol overdose is. So let's talk about the stages of Tylenol overdose. This is something else that unfortunately you just have to know for the ITE and potentially for your boards, and you'll forget about it immediately afterward. You'll probably forget about it in between each year you take the ITE, because that's what happened to me. And it really stinks because these four stages of, 
acetaminophen overdose. I have to try really hard to say acetaminophen. These four stages are very similar to what iron toxicity is. It's, it's, it's annoying, right? So you have to know the difference here between these stages from acetaminophen overdose, and they differ. They're not the same as the iron toxicity overdose. It sinks. I'm sorry you have to learn this, but I'm just going to go over it really fast. And then we're going to ask you like the time frame, like, oh, it's 25 hours. What's happening to the patient during this stage? Don't ever memorize that. That's absurdly silly. They're never going to ask you that. You just have to know the general kind of like, okay, what, you know, general stage are these patients in? So stage one, less than 24 hours, non-specific GI symptoms. Nothing special here. Nausea and vomiting, malaise, malaise depending on if you're from Canada. And some patients are asymptomatic. The labs are unremarkable. Getting into 24 to 72 hours, stage two, you're going to start having hepatotoxicity, LFT, abnormalities, maybe abdominal pain. 72 to 96 hours, that's when you go into fulminant hepatic failure. The liver function test will peak during this time. All the signs and symptoms of liver failure are there. Renal failure, lactic acidosis, basically that. And then stage four, it's not really a stage. I love this one. It's like either death or resolution, <laughs> whatever that means. It's like, yeah, actually, it's not really a stage. It's really just a you know disposition. <laughs> anyway, so let's get into the diagnosis here. Diagnosis. Serum acetaminophen level. <laughs> You're going to order this on any patient with suspicion of overdose, either intentional or accidental. As usual, you're going to do a general tox workup in the ED, including asking EMS or family members, if they're there, or friends, about other home medications as well as other prescription medications that can be found in the household, especially just in that medicine cabinet that our patient in this stem may have taken. Calling the patient's pharmacy or any helpful EMR, you know, retrieval tricks can pay dividends as well here. What are common tests you need to grab as well with the serum acetaminophen level? Well, uh, I don't know, maybe another over-the-counter drug that people could overdose on and cause, you know, really bad respiratory uh, distress and, oh, salicylates, <laughs> salicylate levels, as well as, you know, your usual laboratory work, CBC, CMP in this case, because we want to look at the liver function tests, pregnancy tests if they're female, and on a basic level, just, you know, urine tests, things like that, things you would normally get. Now, an acetaminophen level should be measured at four hours after the time of ingestion. The reason it's four hours is because the vast majority of immediate release acetaminophen, which is the vast majority of acetaminophen standard type on the market, that is when it's usually almost all absorbed by four hours. And so four hours is saying, hey, if you get a level at four hours and it's negative, there's no harm here. There's nothing to worry about. And we'll talk about when that is the case, though. Often, though, this happens so much we are unsure of the exact time of ingestion. It's so rare that a patient will come in and say, yep, this one I took it, you know, four hours ago, bam. They come in, you draw the level, and you're done. It just doesn't happen that way. Usually they're off by several hours. Usually they aren't forthright with you. And so if there's any suspicion for the ingestion time being greater than four hours, immediately obtain an acetaminophen level upon arrival to the ED and get another one at four hours following that, just to be absolutely sure. Now, what you're going to use here is this thing called the rumic Matthew nomogram, which sounds like some type of very intense physics principle or theorem, <laughs> like the speed of light or some type of like time travel doctrine. The Rumic Matthew nomogram used to guide wormhole travel <laughs> across the galaxy. Anyway, we've already done too many Star Trek references this month on the last podcast. So what you're going to use is this Rumic Matthew nomogram to determine the need for antidote therapy. The nomogram is not applicable, though, to chronic 
acetaminophen overdoses. By chronic, I mean they're taking several doses of acetaminophen over several days in small batches, but it, you know, it, at a toxic level. It's not going to help. It, this nomogram is specifically helpful for people who take just a bolus load in a less than 24-hour period, basically all at once. They take this huge load, and that's what's going to be helpful. Okay, so what's going to happen in the following scenarios? This is what people get really confused about is they get that initial serum acetaminophen level and what, what happens? What, what are the possible scenarios? Well, scenario number one is very common. You get your initial acetaminophen level at four hours since the time of ingestion. You know when it happened. The patient told you, yeah, I took it around this time. It's been four hours. You get the level. It's negative, and the patient is asymptomatic. Obviously, you want to continue to observe the patient, especially if this was a self-harm event. Of course, they're going to be observed in the hospital and eventually need a psychiatric consult once they're medically cleared, etc. And you're going to remeasure that acetaminophen level at four hours again if you want to. It's a very common scenario. Most patients, thankfully, do not need the antidote. They can be cleared. Now, another episode that could happen is the initial acetaminophen level at four hours is negative. But the patient has signs of hepatic toxicity. What are signs of hepatic toxicity? Well, it could be any LFT elevation. could also be any symptoms. The patient has abdominal pain and or nausea or vomiting. That would count as hepatic toxicity. You're going to begin antidote therapy and remeasure at four hours again and track the acetaminophen level. Now, what if the time of ingestion is unknown? Well, in this case... You're going to use your labs and the patient's symptoms to help you, similar to what I just said a minute ago. Screen with the labs. You're going to get a acetaminophen level, you know, LFTs, renal function tests, coagulation studies, blood gas, whatever, everything. And you're going to look at the patient, see what their symptoms are and signs. Nausea and vomiting, the most common symptom with tonal overdose, sometimes, a, you know, abstract abdominal pain. And what you're going to see here is, again, if the time of ingestion is unknown, but if the LFTs are elevated, go ahead and just give the antidote. We'll talk about what the antidote is in a minute. I'm just being... I'm not trying to get into that right now. And then if the time of ingestion is unknown, but the Tylenol level is elevated, you're going to also give the antidote. And finally, if the Tylenol level is undetectable and the LFTs are normal, well, you're done. You don't need to give the antidote. And finally, one last case scenario, which is, this is not going to be that common, is if a patient comes in and family member or friend or the patient can tell you, yeah, I took this much Tylenol. And they show you, and it's basically greater than like 7.5 grams total dose. Like, I said a minute ago, anything greater than about eight grams is considered toxic. So just consider anything greater than eight grams they took all at once <laughs> is a toxic level. Obviously, regardless of the weight in that patient, yeah, you're going to go ahead and just give the antidote and start treating them. That is such a strange, rare scenario, and I think anyone would give the antidote in that case. Okay, let's talk about antidote and treatment in general. But first, before we get to the antidote, let's talk about everyone's favorite medication to give, activated charcoal. <laughs> Just kidding. So activated charcoal is pretty awful, but patients presenting immediately less than three hours, probably, but no hard line here, uh, after a potential acetaminophen overdose, they could benefit from charcoal. Charcoal has been found to been effective in reducing serum acetaminophen concentrations and reducing liver injury. But the problem is, is that you should always give concern for airway protection. You should never intubate patients just to give charcoal. Uh, you should never force patients to drink charcoal the patient in this stem was refusing to talk to you, and I sort of hinted that, you know, you're not going to make this patient drink charcoal. They don't want to. You could try. It's always worth an effort. If you know the time of ingestion is less than four hours, give it a shot. But again, don't do anything aggressive just for the situation of trying to give charcoal. It's not going not to do anything, and it's not good to do. All right, N-acetylcysteine, however. This is the bomb.com. N-acetylcysteine is an amazing medication. It's very effective for preventing liver failure from acetaminophen overdoses. It's the only proven antidote 
for acetaminophen overdose. Plenty of studies have repeatedly shown it has a superior profile in reducing serious hepatotoxicity, like less than 4%, and death. It's also extremely rare, less than 1%, if N-acetylcysteine is given less than 8 hours from an overdose. That's awesome. And its mechanism has to do with restoring glutathione stores. I know you don't, I'm sorry, block that word out if, you, if you're starting to get PTSD from med school. Glutathione. <laughs> anyway, it's like Mufasa. I just hear that name and I shudder. Mufasa. Ooh. Do it again. Mufasa. <laughs> Say it again. Anyway, there are no placebo trials. You can imagine trying to pass this through the IRB. However, there's no downside to giving N-acetylcysteine, even if it's given in late presentations and patients with liver failure from an unknown cause. It's been studied that N-acetylcysteine can reduce cerebral edema and improve hepatic function. Wow, what a drug. How amazing. It's like droperidol or ketamine for the liver. While dosing errors are common when it comes to N-acetylcysteine, significant adverse effects are very rare. What are the big things we see with N-acetylcysteine? Well, funny you ask about this. One, it will elevate the INR. It can interfere with lab analysis. Two, it can also cause vomiting. About 30% of patients will vomit after N-acetylcysteine. And finally, it can cause anaphylaxis in a decent amount of people, 10 to 20% of patients. This is obviously the most concerning side effect, and the reactions in this anaphylaxis or allergic reaction phase will vary in severity. Many patients are able to tolerate the infusion when it's restarted, but you need to be ready to manage anaphylaxis and not be surprised. So what do we do in the exact scenarios when patients have allergic reactions to N-acetylcysteine? We cover all this in detail, or I do at least, on the Rapid Bombs podcast. So if you're interested in learning the special details of N-acetylcysteine, the management, the infusion, the side effects of it, and how to deal with that, and how to not stop the infusion, even if they have an allergic reaction, which is rare, right, in medicine, listen to Rapid Mom's podcast. I'm not going to go any further detail right now, but if you're a premium subscriber, you'll get access to that. Now, moving onward, N-acetylcysteine can be given in pregnancy at the same dose. No change. What you're going to do is start it at the proper dose, coordinate with pharmacy. Great. Admit the patient. Now, some patients can be admitted to the floor here, you know, a med site kind of unit, if they're hemodynamically normal, even with an N-acetylcysteine infusion. If they have any signs of severe hepatotoxicity or risk of anaphylaxis, yes, admit to the ICU for very close monitoring. And that's it. That's all I got time for today. And this was a great review of a common tox topic. You know, one thing I really would appreciate as a call to action here, besides signing up for Rapid Bombs, is dropping an Apple review. If you have a Apple iPhone and the majority of our listeners and the majority of medical professionals actually have iPhones. Sorry, Android users. We love you too, but this only applies to iPhone people. Please drop an Apple review. You know, we're really trying to maintain our rankings and Apple podcasts really, really would appreciate. It requires no effort on your part other than what you're doing right now on your phone. When you have Apple podcasts open, just drop an Apple review, please. Scroll down to the bottom of our podcast page. It'll give you an option to leave a five-star review. And please drop some text if you don't mind. You can always leave a funny one-liner. We've gotten quite a few funny reviews, and we really appreciate it. It lightens our day. It's just a nice gesture. Uh, if you like what you're hearing on the podcast, we really, really would appreciate it. It means a lot. So Apple Podcasts, please drop an Apple review. That's all i got time for today. We'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.